and that there is this, this greater appreciation of Noah. He wasn't just a guy who, who built an ark and had some cute animals in the ark with him and then floated along the sea until it ended, but actually that Noah was a, was a real man in a real place with real challenges, was, was faithful in the middle of unfaithfulness. And, and I think that that's the big, one of the big challenges now is that people think like, well, how do I be faithful in the middle of unfaithfulness? Can, it, can I do it? Or, or even worse sometimes, the question I think becomes is like, well, as long as I'm a little more faithful than the generation that's around me, then I'm doing pretty good. And as the, the, the world gets more unfaithful and more unfaithful, then the problem is that, sh- that that's a moving target for you. It's easier to feel better about yourself. And yet what we read about Noah is we read about that Noah was a faithful man. He was a righteous man in the middle of unrighteousness. And if you've ever been like this, maybe at your job, at your, even in your family, where it feels like, why do I have to hold to Christian values and everybody else gets to do what they want? Why am I the only one? And if that's you, actually, what you'll realize is that there's this feeling of aloneness. And that's your workplace. That's just your family. But what if that was the world? And so one of the beautiful things that we see in in the story of Noah is that Noah, a man who was righteous in the sight of God, who was righteous in the middle of unrighteousness, and then God was doing everything, right? It says that the world was increasing in violence and corruption. Every thought, everything that they did, all that they did was unrighteous. And they were increasing in violence and corruption. And then God stepped in and he answered the questions that we always ask, which is how bad does it have to get? And then who will do something? And God says it will get, it will get no worse than this. And I'm going to do something about it. And so that's what we see in the story of Noah. And by the way, so, so the, the challenge of living as faithful in the middle of unfaithfulness. But the other thing that I, I hear from Christians often is this real fear of the future. The how bad does it get is this real fearful place. Josh, how bad is it going to get? You go, I don't know. But there's this fear. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't actually have to fear about how bad it's going to get. Why? Because what, is, what does Genesis tell us? What does the story of Noah tell us? Is that God is over humanity. God is, God is over humanity and God is over human history. Like in other words, that, that it will never get so bad that, it'll, that, that the, the violence and corruption will outweigh the sovereignty of God. That's actually what Genesis tells us. And that's what the rest of the story tells us, is that, is that the violence and corruption will never outweigh the sovereignty of God. In other words, it'll, it may be out of your control, but it's not out of God's control. And so this morning, very sad, we, we, we say goodbye to Noah, and maybe not a, a story in which we would want to remember him by. And we don't. And actually... This will tell you something, that we actually don't remember him by this story. We get to this story and go, oh yeah, so that happened. And, but what do we remember him for? Because we're not going to put this story up in the nursery, by the way. Uh, we're going to put the ark up in the nursery, the rainbow up in the nursery, nor should we put this story up in the nursery. So, with that enticement, <laughs> 
Let's jump in. This is out of uh, Genesis chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse um, 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk. And laid uncovered in his tent. Let me read that again. Noah be, began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. You go, what happened to Noah? Where, where, I thought he was the righteous man. Once again, we're not, we're not putting this story up in the nursery, right? Just to be clear. We're not, this is not the one we're like. And so here's he's in the ark, and here's he's naked in his tent, drunk, as passed out, as we would say, right? We don't put this one up. And the question becomes that how long, how long after the flood did this happen? We go, well, we don't know. We know that it was long enough for him to plant a vineyard. We know that it was long enough for that vineyard to, to start bearing grapes. And it was long enough for those grapes to then make some wine. That's what we know. So it's, it's, it's some time, right? It's not like he came right off the ark and then this story happened. So at least some years have passed. We know that about roughly about a third of his life was lived um, after the flood. So 300 years or so after the flood. That he was, so it happened somewhere there. And when you read this story, it's interesting because people come up with all sorts of interpretations of what happened. And we don't, I mean, we, you could talk, we can talk more about this later if you'd like to, if you'd like to afterwards say, hey, what do you think about this? Because there's all sorts of crazy wild interpretations about what happened with Noah and the drinking of the wine and being drunk and laying naked in the tent and being uncovered. And I go, well, we're going to look at the story and let the story tell us what it tells us. And we're going to assume that what it tells us is the most important thing for us to know. And there's not some sort of other hidden, uh, you, know, uh, you know, rare meaning that's going to give us the, the real interpretation or understanding of this, this passage. And so what we understand is that Noah drank some wine. So he planted a vineyard, drank some wine, he got drunk, and the drunk the drunkenness led it so that he couldn't control his actions or whatever, but then his drunkenness ended with nakedness. And like a real side note just this morning, and by the way, this is my understanding of the scripture, so this isn't like an official, we'd say official north side position, but because one of the big things that does come up is like what about what about alcohol in the Bible? Like what, how, does, how does alcohol interact with the Christian? And I go, well, it's, it's a hard place. Because actually it says here, it's not that he drank, but it's actually he drank wine and then got drunk. And so there's this, 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 this distinction between the drinking of the wine and the getting drunk. And you go, well, so is it okay? And I go, well, that depends. See, what the Bible talks about a lot about is drunkenness. This idea where, where you drink to the point of you can't control your actions. And to where other words, like even when, when Paul's talking about it, he goes, you should be controlled by the Spirit and nothing else. And so if the spirits are controlling you, then, then don't do that. The problem is that so people go, so can I have a, a glass of wine? I go, well, it depends. Some people drink a glass of wine with dinner, no problem. Other people Drink a glass of wine, you're picking them up off the floor, right? 
And you go, well, that's not fair. You go, I, I, I'm just, I'm telling you what it says. In the sense of like, it's like, so, so, so he, he drank. But the problem is not the drink. The problem is that he got drunk. And I know actually recovering alcoholics, I had a conversation with a recovering alcoholic. He said that after one drink, he's not drunk. But he says his problem was, is that if he drinks one, he drinks five. There's no difference. As soon as I drink one, I drink five. There is no, there, there, there is no drinking one. So then he actually, out of wisdom, says, I don't drink the one. I go, good. Because for me, one's five. Other people go, man, I drink one, I'm, I'm, like, I'm out like a light. You go, good, then don't do it. What it says here is that Noah drank the wine, got drunk, and then got naked. So that's really putting it simply. He got drunk and got naked, which is interesting because there's a long-standing tradition, right, between drunkenness and nudity, right? And so we we think that that's like this this novel, like, oh, yeah, that's that's college or that's, that's this culture. You go, no, no, going back to Noah, there's a connection between getting drunk and clothes coming off right? And we see this. And it was one of the things I, I love about the Bible because I go, humanity hasn't changed. The drinks have changed. <laughs> we now have bars. We have, you know, all sorts of different concoctions, all different kinds of alcohol. But I go, but some things have not changed. That often drunkenness leads to nakedness. Pretty basic. That's why I was, like, I was trying to read some of these these interpretations of this bad stuff. I'm like, you guys are overthinking this. Like, it's just drunkenness leads to nakedness. And that's what happened in this passage. And so we get to this place and we go, oh, we just read about violence and corruptions. And then God, he brings judgment on the world. He saves Noah and his family. They get off the ark. Isn't it beautiful? The animals are coming out. This is great. Isn't it wonderful? There's the rainbow. Next story. Noah got drunk and naked. To which you think to yourself, this is why we can't have nice things. Right? That didn't take long. That didn't take long at all. That was shockingly quick. And we're going, we're back. So as I say, we're not, we're not back. You know, we're not back. We're not back to the violence and corruption. So often I'll talk with Christians and they'll go, man, I, or maybe they act they go, man, I just, I thought I had my anger under control. And then my anger got out of control. And then I think, oh, I'm back. We go, but you're not back. That's the lie. You're not back. Well, my anger, it was, it was man, I, I thought I had her control and I lost it. I go, yeah, but what did you do after that? Well, I apologized to my wife. I go, oh, good. You're not back then, huh? Because you didn't do that before. Did you get angry again the next day? No. What about the day after that? No. What about the day after that? No. What about the day after that? No. So you're not back. See, before, you, you, you blew up, you got angry, and then you would do that the day after, day after, day after, day after, and never apologizing to those you offended. You're not back. And there's a danger here to go, we're back. And I go, we're not back. And because the flood wasn't to eradicate sin. That's the whole thing. People think that the flood was to eradicate sin. The flood was not to eradicate sin. If the flood was meant to eradicate sin, then God did a horrible job with the flood. He should never have left Noah and his family. 
The purpose was not to eradicate. It's not like God, God was like, well, I want to eradicate sin, but I think Noah's good enough, so we're going to keep him. And then after the flood, realizes it wasn't good enough, and so we should have got rid of Noah and his family. That's not, that's not the issue. It's funny because people will read Genesis, they'll go, oh, the Garden of Eden. God's like, oh, this is nice, and then it fails. God's like, dang it. All right, all right, all right, we're going to let it fail. And then the Noah, it's like, all right, it's, it's failed enough. We're going to try this thing again. And then there's Noah in the ark. And God's like, oh, good, that, that worked. Until this story happens again. And God's like, ah, dang it, we failed again. What do we do next? That's not what it is. The flood was not to eradicate sin, but the flood was to bring sin to judgment and to limit it. In other words, God says it's not going to get any worse than this. And what we really see in the Bible is that God will limit sin. See, in other words, like right now as we're living, God is limiting sin. He's bringing sin into judgment. And then one day he will eradicate sin. That's revelation. And so the eradication of sin, which is interesting because it's what we all want, is we want the eradication of sin and go, that's what's coming. That's the, that's the, by faith. We trust that the eradication of sin is coming. Not just globally, right, for everyone, but for you as well. And so what we see often in the Bible is that God, the one of the ways that God, God will, will allow sin to continue, will allow sin to continue, then he'll bring it into judgment to deal with it, but it doesn't necessarily eradicate it, if this makes sense. And so I'll give you an example, just one example of this. So, so remember, the, the Israelites were down into, in Egypt, right? And Moses goes down to save them. And let my people go. They go out into the wilderness. And God had told Moses, I'm going to bring my people, my slave, they're, they're slaves right now. They're going to be my people. I'm going to bring them out of Egypt and into the land of Israel. And between bringing them out of Egypt and into the land of Israel, he sets up the Ten Commandments. And he says with those commandments, if you keep the commandments, you keep the land. If you, if you break the commandments continually, you will lose the land. That's what's going to happen. That was the deal that set up. So they take the land, and guess what they do almost immediately? Start breaking the commandments. Start breaking the commandments. Start breaking the commandments. They get judges, and there's this, you can read judges, first and second kings, and what we see is this kind of this, this ebb and flow. This, it gets bad, but God, then God sends somebody and then brings it back. And it gets bad again, and then God sends somebody and then brings it back. And so he keeps on limiting it and limiting it, but it kind of does this downward spiral until God finally says, that's it, enough, you're losing the land. Interestingly enough, it wasn't the first sin. It wasn't like the first time they broke a commandment, God's like, that's, that, okay, that's it. Like, you guys have lost the land. Actually, God allows it to go. He allows it to go. He allows it to go. He limits it, then allows it to go some more. They start building, they start building altars and worshiping other gods. God's like, I'm not happy with that. That's why he sends the prophets. Stop doing that. And then God finally says, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going to bring all of this into judgment, and you're going to lose the land. And in losing the land, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create in you a new heart. You're not losing the land. I'm not destroying you. What I'm doing is I'm bringing your sin into, into judgment to deal with it. And that's what we see. Interestingly enough, by the way, do you know one of the things that triggered it? Is one of the things that God says to Jeremiah, you tell them this. 
and because he's and so because one of the reasons is he says he says because they're 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 giving their babies their sons their daughters in worship to the god of molech do you know how they would give their babies in worship to the god of molech well see molech was the god of fire and so they would burn their babies and so they would take them right outside of Jerusalem in the Hinnom Valley. And then they would offer their babies to the God of Molech by burning them alive. And as a side note, before we label them as barbaric, we should probably be wise to, to judge our own culture first before we judge theirs. And so God says in that moment, that's enough then you're going to lose the land. So he says, I'm going to let it go here, I'm going to let it go here, and then I'm going to pull it back. And so we see this not just with, like, the Bible, but I see this in my life. You see this in your life. You see this with other li- other people. Like, man, I've seen people, like, just, they just go. They just, they just, they're in rebellion, and then I go, how, God, how long are you going to let them go? Or with me. God's like, oh, look at that. Like, I don't know, I, I did that, and God didn't say anything, and he lets it go, he lets it go, and then all of a sudden, it's like, Boom! And all, all of the, it seems like all of the consequences come at one time. And sometimes I think, how long will it go? How long will it go? God, they seem to be getting away with it. And all of a sudden I get a phone call. Hey, what's up? <laughs> How's it going? Not well. Okay. And so we see this. And so the flood was not to eradicate sin. The flood was to bring sin into a judgment. And it also tells me with this, because it's interesting, right? That, that Noah was righteous in the middle of unrighteousness. And yet now here we find him drunk in the tent and naked. And I love this because God pulls, as we're going to see, God pulls both into account. What happens out there and what happens in your tent. A lot of times people think, if I can just be righteous out here, it's okay. And I get to be however I want to in my tent. And I love this story because God's like, nope, out here and in your tent. Both matter. And truth be told, this is true of you, this is true of me. It's much easier to be righteous out here than to be righteous in your tent. As long as I treat, you know, you may think too, as long as I treat my spouse and my children with respect in public, who cares how I treat them at home? I go, that's not true. That is not true. How you act in public, how you, act out, how you act righteously in the middle of unrighteousness matters, absolutely. But also how you act in your tent matters too. And we actually live in a, in a culture right now that says, as long as I get drunk and naked in my tent, it doesn't matter. That's not your business. And God says, I beg to differ. It is my business. And so we see this story to be true. And then I thought to myself, even as we look, like, so what do we do when our Christian heroes are heroes of the faith? What happens when we find them in a place where they are drunk and naked? I mean, you, you, you read the headlines, right? We didn't have to go far. You could go this week. Christian leaders found to be this. Their tent is revealed. What? And what do we do? It's hard, right? I mean, it's hard. I think, one, you have to remember that they, that they are human too, right? 
I think often we put our, our, our leaders in this position. In fact, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine this week. We go, it's just, there's often, even pastors or Christian leaders are put in this place of like, well, I, mean, I know they're not exactly like Jesus, but they're pretty close. They have to be, right? You go, no, like we're actually, like me and other Christian leaders, we're more like you. And so I think sometimes what we do is we, we raise our Christian leaders to Christ-like status. And when they don't measure up to that, because they cannot, that's the whole point of the gospel, you cannot, when they don't, we are shocked and surprised. And I go, so it's interesting, because we still have to have the standards of Christian leadership, right? But at the same time, what happens when we find them drunk and naked? I go, well, we, we do actually, what I think happens is it's, it's met with dealing with it, but it's also met with grace. So, going on. So Noah's drunk, he's naked. 22, verse 22. And Ham, which was his son, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Let me read that again. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So what does Ham do? Ham comes across his presumably passed out, drunken, naked father. Now for everybody in this room that should send chills down your spine to to come across that. Like may none of you ever have to come across that of your father, right? My father's in the room. May that never happen. (laughs) May that never happen. There is just this, there's just this, this is not a good thing. But what is, you see what, what Ham does? He comes across his father in a very shameful place. What does he do? <gasps> no way. Wait till, wait till my brothers hear about this one. And then they just go out. He goes out. And he goes, so, 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 okay, I got a big one. I got, I got a good one. I got a real good one. You'll never guess what I just came across. What? Came across dad. You know dad? Right? Righteous in the middle of unrighteousness. You know that one? The servant of the Lord, you know that one? The one that God used to, to build the ark, you know that one? And bring all of the animals, you know the faithful one, right? Yeah, uh-huh, guess what I saw? I saw him naked and drunk. And I go, you know what? Then I really think. So when I, when I come across the drunkenness and nakedness, I go, humanity hasn't changed. And then when I come across Ham, who sees his father drunk and naked and goes and tells his brother, I go, humanity really hasn't changed at all. What does he do? He finds his father exposed. And what's his response? I'm going to expose him some more. It's not enough that he's found naked and drunk in the tent. Like, it, people need to know this. This is, this is a good one. It's interesting because 
It's what we do. We find other people, sometimes metaphorically, sometimes literally, in drunken, naked states. And we think to ourselves, wait till other people hear about this one. Wait till I get to tell other people about this one. All high and mighty. So nothing's changed. Sometimes we're so busy exposing the drunkenness and the nakedness of other people. And I think we do that because maybe if we can keep the focus on their drunken and nakedness, then they won't look at my drunken and nakedness. And as long as my drunken nakedness is less juicy than theirs, theirs will be the focus. And so this is what Ham does. Ham comes across his father this way, and he goes, wait till my brothers hear about this one. So he goes out, and he tells his brothers, verse 23, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. You know, so they, the Shem and Japheth, they go in and it was, the Bible is very, very clear. I mean, it goes way out of the way to say they did not see it. They didn't look at it. They walked in backwards. Their heads were turned away. They didn't want to see it. And they put the, the cloth on him to cover him. And so Ham goes out and goes, okay, okay, don't look now, don't look now, don't look now, don't look now, but look now. And Sam and Japheth, they're like, we, we don't, we don't want to see that. Like what? What we want to do is we want to, we want to cover that. And so they go way out of their way to not see it and to cover it. And you see, you see what Ham does? Ham wants to expose him more and then, and then and shame him more. And what, what his other two sons they, they want to they cover him. They, they don't want him to be exposed more. And here's, here's the problem, one of the problems with Christianity right now today, right? We love, 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 love to expose the sins of others. And yet the gospel is calling us not to ignore them, right? It's interesting that actually... That that they didn't, it doesn't say that they, they, they didn't go, that they didn't go in. I'm saying they didn't go in and look at it. But also said that, that, that Shem and Japheth, they, they didn't see it. And so it's not like Shem and Japheth, they were like, yeah, we, that's, that's dad, let them let sleep it off. So they didn't actually ignore it. They actually walked in. But for what was the purpose of them walking in? Was not to see it, but to cover him. To get him out of his state. And what we do is we just want to 
We just want to spread it. See, sin exposes. It's what it does. It actually exposes our nakedness. And what we want to do is expose the nakedness of other people. And this way, Ham does. Shem and Japheth do the other. And I wish Christians were different, but we're not, right? Did you hear what so-and-so did? I mean, can you believe it? I mean, who would have thought? You know, that's gossip. Nope, nope, it's not gossip if it's true. That's actually not even a true statement. It is gossip. It can be gossip. It can be both gossip and true. Now, often gossip isn't true, but it actually can be both gossip and 100% true. But here's actually the thing. It can't, it, it's gossip if it's 100% true and it's also about you. That's not gossip. They go, well, I don't like that one as much, nearly as much. I like the other one, just 100% true gossip about somebody else. But actually, if it's your own brokenness, your own sin, your own nakedness, and you want to talk about it, then it's not gossip. It's, it's 100% true. It's 100% true about you. That's okay. In the Christian world, we try to, like, spiritualize it. You know who needs prayer? I'll tell you who needs prayer. They need a lot of prayer. Let me tell me the prayer they need. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so she went out, and then she lied, and then she got caught. Uh-huh. Yep. So she needs a lot of prayer for that, and she also needs prayer for, and then we just start, we just start exposing, exposing, exposing. And interesting that nobody ever stops to pray. That's how you know it's gossip. It's interesting that the hand doesn't come out and say, you know who needs prayer? No one needs prayer because he's in there. He's drunk. He just exposed. Like, no. He's, and, then, and it's interesting that they don't, they don't spread it. What they do is they go back in to cover it. And then Noah wakes up. Verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And so then Noah finally speaks. We've been talking about this for a while. Like, Noah hasn't said a word. Noah hasn't said a word. Noah hasn't said a word. He gets drunk, naked, wakes up, he starts speaking, right? And what's his first word? Cursed be Canaan. Canaan was the son of Ham, which you may go, that's not fair. Why would he, why would he curse Canaan if, if it was Ham's issue? And by the way, spoiler alert, the Canaanites are going to be a major, major opponent to the Israelites. So there's going to be a major problem here. Here come the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are going to oppose the Israelites. 
The curse would be Canaan. You go, why would he curse Canaan if it was Ham's issue? They go, because because Canaan was his son. Oh, Ham, you'd, you'd be satisfied if I just cursed you, but I'm going to curse your son. Those of you who are parents in this room, you know that's true, right? Sure, somebody can talk about you. Talk about your kid? There's a difference between saying, you're stupid. Oh, that's fine. You can think what you want to think. Your son's stupid. Like, what did you just say? <laughs> what did you just say to me? Like, you can't say that. And so it's one thing to curse you. Another thing to curse your, your, your offspring. And so he says it's cursed to be the Canaan. By the way, Ham, this is not just about you. This is going to be about your generations that follow you. And by the way, Shem to you. No, he doesn't bless him. What does he do? He blesses the God of him. Now, there's a lot of speculation of why he would bless. Blessed be the, the, the God of Shem. Why, why he blessed God instead of Shem. And I got, it's lots of speculation here. That the reason why I think is because he knows that this didn't come from him. It came from God. In other words, Shem walking in backwards with the cloth to put it on his it wasn't driven because he was like, I should do this. It was driven by something else, a faithfulness to God. And that shouldn't surprise us because later on when God gives the Ten Commandments, what, this, what is one of them? Honor your father and mother. And here we see, we see Shem doing it and Japheth doing it. I'm going to honor him. At least I'm not going to pile the shame upon him. And so he says, blessed be his God. And then Noah dies. <laughs> Not immediately after the story, right? Like, and then he's dead. But like, it's like, and that's, that's the last story we're going to get of Noah. And it should tell you something, right, that that's not how we remember him. It's almost like this side note. And I love, by the way, how the Bible is very honest with its leaders. Like, none of the leaders are perfect. There's David, you know, people are like, oh, David. You go, yeah, but there's a whole David and Bathsheba thing. There's Peter. Yeah, but you know, Peter denied Jesus, right? And so I, 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 love, I love the humanity, that the way in which the Bible speaks of the humanity of these leaders. They're not perfect. And then we get this last story. And people go, why is this story in here? And why is that our last story of Noah? To leave a, a weird taste in our mouth? Remember how we talked about, we've been talking about this if you've been here the whole time, that Genesis 1 through 3 was creation. And we saw with Genesis 1 through 3, we saw the water separating. We saw, we saw the, uh, um, the animals being, like, populating the world. And then when there was, the judgment came, what did we say? There was, like, this decreation. The waters are coming back together again. The animals are not dispersing. They're actually coming back in. And then we said after, after the ark and the flood, what did we see again? A recreation. The waters recede, right? They're separated again. Dry land appears just like in Genesis 1 and 2. The animals, there, there's vegetation. We saw there's vegetation makes its, its way back. The animals begin to disperse and then populate the land. And so there is like this, this creation, then sort of this decreation before the flood. And then after the flood, we see recreation. And right after the recreation story, what do we see? 
a story about nakedness? If you know your Bible, maybe that would be familiar to you. Remember what happened in Genesis 3 when God says, don't eat of that tree, and they eat of that tree? And as soon as Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what does it say? They ate of the tree and they were aware of what? That they were naked. And then God goes, he calls them into account, and he comes to them in the garden, and they hide because they're naked. And they try to sew the fig leaves on, and then they they hide because they're naked. And then God goes to them, he goes, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding, Adam? Because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of that tree? And then God gives them the consequences, right? Deals with it. But then what does he do after that? If you're familiar with Genesis 3, you'll know that he covers them. And so sin has this way of uncovering our nakedness. Sometimes metaphorically, sometimes literally. And God, in his creative state, his God-like status, says, I'm going to be the one who calls it into account, but I'm also going to be the one that wants to cover it. And so then, right after this recreation story, we get another story about nakedness where one wants to expose it to the world, but not deal with it. And then two, say we're going we're gonna to go in there. We don't want to, but we're going to go in there. We're going to call it to account, but we're going to do our best to cover it. Not cover it up, right? But to cover it as in to heal it. And so it's really interesting how we see this other story about nakedness right after creation. And what it tells us is that that God is a God who is looking to cover sin. You know, sin, sin makes us aware of our nakedness. And God calls that into account. But what he wants is to cover us. I think that a lot of times the reason why you think that God calls into account sin is because he wants to shame you and make you feel bad about what you did. And God says, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because because I want you to heal. I want to cover you. That's what Jesus tells us, right? He wants to cut it. His righteousness would cover our nakedness. The, the nakedness that was brought to us through sin, that Jesus takes that on so that we would be covered in what? In his righteousness. And so my question to you, even in ministry, even in the lives of other people, is which, which role are you playing? Are you more like Ham? You're not going to guess what I saw. Not going to guess what I came across. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. All you're doing is further exposing 
for the purposes of shaming. And what you're never doing is stepping in to heal. Or are you doing what you can, like Shem and Japheth, to bring about healing? To bring sin into account and to bring about healing. See, that's the whole thing is that Ham wanted to leave his, his father naked. He was okay with that. And, and Shem and Japheth, they didn't want that. They didn't want their father to be naked and ashamed. And so in this recreation nakedness story, God says, this is still what I'm like. I'm the God who covers the nakedness, who exposes the nakedness to cover it. And I'm not the God who is looking to expose the, the nakedness just to shame it. And so my prayer for us, for you, for me, with that, with that is that in this, we'd be more like Christ in helping people heal and cover from their nakedness and not be like Ham in our desire to spread it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's good and true and right. We pray that you are over us. God, I pray that in our lives that we would not, we would not seek out even our own stuff, our own junk, our own sin, that we would not cover it up, but we would allow you to cover it. God, and as we, as we live in this world, as we live in the middle of unrighteousness, whether outside or in our tents, as we live in the middle of this, may we not be a people who just love to expose the nakedness of others. May we not be a people who love to engage in gossip. May we not be a people who love to just go out and spread. Spread the sin, spread the shame, spread the guilt. May we not walk out with that information, but let that information drive us in. In to bring account. In to bring healing. May we not look to expose it more, but let, may, we, may, we, may we walk in so that we can help heal. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the one who has covered us. That you found us naked. You found us afraid and ashamed. And you look to cover us. Thank you that you didn't expose us to shame us, but you exposed us to heal us. May we be healed. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.